0: Meta has spent upwards of $50 billion developing the metaverse, but will it pay off? Go inside the company in a new three-part series, from Facebook to Meta, Zuckerberg's Big Bet, in the tech news briefing feed from The Wall Street Journal.
1: Uh, I would describe myself as a creator.
2: This is Alfredo Salazar Caro. He's an artist, but what he makes is kind of hard to pin down.
1: My current most favorite mediums are virtual reality, uh, speculative architecture, biotexture, um, agroforestry.
2: He was born in Mexico City and moved to Texas with his family as a teenager. Family trips back and forth across the border left an indelible impression on him and permeate his work.
1: I am the director of Dreams of the Jaguars' Daughter, a surreal documentary dealing with U.S.-Mexico border concepts and logics and politics. I call it a magic realism documentary or a surreal documentary.
2: The experimental film depicts the experience of the Central American mass migration north. It uses 3D scans, traditional film footage, and virtual reality to take viewers essentially inside a journey from the Guatemalan jungle to the Arizona desert. Salazar Caro tells the story from the point of view of a young girl. I am a chic.
0: I am the dreams and memories A cheek,
1: the spirit of a young immigrant, tells us her dreams and memories, or really shows us them, of her journey northwards. And she wears a mask of a jaguar cub. Um, So she has this kind of mystical guide.
2: Salazar Caro has already shown part one of his film in New York at the Tribeca Film Festival and also exhibited work in Brazil. And he's had some success selling his work via galleries and to collectors. All art can sometimes struggle to find a collector, but Salazar Caro says it can be challenging to show work that lives online. You can't exactly hang a VR up on the wall. And since the pandemic, it's continued to be difficult, he says, to reach buyers.
1: We've had a hard time selling to collectors and things like that. I mean, we have done it and there are very avant-garde collectors out there who are, you know, collecting websites and uh, animated GIFs and things like this, but it's not a mainstream thing within the art collection world.
2: But now he's trying something new, selling his work as an NFT. Non-fungible tokens have been getting a lot of hype lately. Saturday Night Live even did a sketch about them. NFTs are kind of like Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies in that they exist on a blockchain, but they're unique. One can't be exchanged for another. NFTs convey ownership of a digital asset that is sometimes also linked to a physical one. But NFT sales are often surrounded by speculative mania that leave crypto critics wary. They fear NFTs are just another mega platform that will mostly benefit sellers and the resellers, not so much the makers. From the Wall Street Journal, this is the future of everything. I'm Janet Babin. Today on the podcast, we consider the future of digital collectibles. How NFTs could create a paradigm shift for creators by disrupting the economy of art and collectibles. Meta has spent
0: upwards of $50 billion developing the metaverse. But will it pay off for the company, its investors, and for CEO Mark Zuckerberg?
3: Over time, I hope that we are seen as a metaverse company. And I want to anchor our work and our identity on what we are building towards.
0: Meta's trillion dollar business and how we use the internet could hang in the balance. Go inside the company in a new three part series from Facebook to Meta, Zuckerberg's big bet, in the tech news briefing feed from the Wall Street Journal
2: digital artist Alfredo Salazar Caro is excited to auction off some of his work as NFTs. He hopes they'll be bought and even resold on one of the digital online NFT marketplaces that have cropped up.
1: You don't have to be a part of the art world. All you have to do is put your work into this thing, mint it, and then put it out into the world. And of course, you know, the insane amounts of money that people have been making already is, I mean, it's indicative of a lot of things.
2: Can you talk about the time you first got money for one of your NFTs, what that felt like?
1: Well, um, the first time I got money for it is uh, coming soon. (laughs) So I'll let you know.
2: Salazar Caro just released a limited edition series of NFTs, some that also come with a physical counterpart, a mask.
1: The mask is also a 3D scan from an ancient Mayan artifact in Guatemala that I got from the Popol Bum Museum. And uh, then I modified it, re-sculpted it, and turned it into the mask for the main character.
2: He's hoping NFTs fuel a boom in digital art that could offer him and other artists more options to sell their work.
1: Not only is it uh, opening up the field for any Artists that has access to a computer, regardless of whether they consider themselves a digital artist or not, and are able to sell to an audience that is far larger than the typical, whatever you want to call it, art buyer market at any level.
2: A turning point for the NFT market was a sale from the auction house Christie's last month of an NFT by the digital artist known as Beeple.
1: The Christie's auction for digital artist Beeple, uh, whose real name is uh, Mike Winkleman, uh, coming to a close a few moments ago. Uh, The final bid, $69 million.
2: The piece that sold, titled Every Days, the First 5,000 Days, is a collage of images the artist posted every day for slightly more than 13 years. It was an historic sale, a gold rush kind of moment, when the traditional art world collided with the crypto world. We asked Caitlin Ostroff about this. She knows the backstory on NFTs. She's a markets reporter for the Wall Street Journal and has been following the growing popularity of these digital collectibles. Ostroff watched the Beeple sale almost in disbelief. How did Christie's get turned on to this? And how
4: is there such demand for this that in the minutes leading up to the end of that Christie's auction, it's skyrocketed up to almost $70 million. And so that's how I got interested in looking at it originally. And from there, it's just been,
2: you know, kind of surprising how diverse this market is. These non-fungible tokens can represent just about anything from a song to a pair of sneakers to a designer handbag. Twitter's chief executive, Jack Dorsey, sold an NFT of his first tweet for $2.9 million.
4: Probably the most popular one at the moment is NBA Top Shots, which is basically all of these NBA highlight videos of basketball players during games. And it's getting a lot of attention, in part because
2: the platform is so easy to use. And the market has seen some spectacular growth this year. Ostrov says in most of 2020, the NFT market was worth just over a couple hundred million dollars. Now, that sounds like a lot, but not compared to the markets she usually covers, like gold or stocks, and not compared to the unprecedented volume the NFT market saw in the first three months of 2021. According to data from nonfungible.com, since January, more than 2 billion U.S. dollars traded in NFTs. That's more than 20 times the volume traded over the previous three months. And that only includes transactions that happen on one of the NFT platforms, the most used one, the Ethereum blockchain. But still, just one. So that doesn't even include that famous Beeple sale at Christie's or NBA Top Shots. NFTs are usually traded on that Ethereum network we talked about, a decentralized open source blockchain where you can borrow, send, and store currency called Ether. But again, NFTs can also be traded on other networks. What appeals to NFT collectors is that these tokens are unique digital assets that cannot be exchanged, so they're scarce buying an NFT gives you access to the original image, audio, or video file. Ostroff says the blockchain's digital ledger keeps a secure record of all the transactions and changes in ownership of each unique NFT. You can't trade one out for the other.
4: The underlying information of who owned it or when it was created or its unique properties, like those are all different. And that's why it's taken on this life as almost this digital collectibles, because it's similar to how we would ordinarily, you know, value comic books or old baseball cards.
2: But buying an NFT is not the same as owning the copyright of the underlying object. Ostrov explains the NFT endows the owner with proof of ownership and the original rights to the digital asset— But the NFT cannot stop people from, say, making copies of a popular work. So if you go and you
4: buy an NFT of Jack Dorsey's first tweet, let's say, his tweet still exists online. People can still screenshot it. They can still share it. But no one else owns that original ownership of it. So the idea is that, you know, even if you're sharing these screenshots, everyone will know that you don't actually own it because there's not that record, that digital record that says, yes, you bought it on this date. And so the other idea is that even if people are sharing it, that actually makes these things even more valuable. And that's what makes people think that people will wanna have that ownership of these assets in the future because they wind up being very popular and people
2: can share them unrestricted. And in a way, that's often how museums work. Traditional art collectors often loan out purchases to art museums to increase their value and generate popularity. Fans of niche artists or athletes or a really clever meme like the chance to have access to the original, even if the image or video is everywhere on the Internet. So in some cases, there is no physical asset associated with the NFT, so buyers can't touch it or wear it. And they don't own the copyrights to the original work, like Jack Dorsey's tweet. But they do own the NFT of it. And digital artist Salazar Caro says for some of his collectors, that right is enough.
1: These NFTs are essentially a way for people to raise the value of an artist by saying like, you know, I like this person's work, so I'm going to get it. And that just like creates essentially a, a stock of an artist, which is a strange thing.
2: The NFT market is too new yet to know for sure how NFT purchases will affect the value of an artist's work long term. What we have seen is that some artists, specifically digital artists, who have had trouble selling their work before, are pulling in big sums with NFTs. Just this week, the auction house Sotheby's held a three-day sale of NFTs from the artist who goes by the synonym PAC. They went for $17 million. After the Beeple auction held by Christie's, Ostroff wanted to get a better understanding of who's buying NFTs. So she went deep into crypto territory.
4: I was really just like desperately, frantically trying to source for people who had been in this space for a while. And what I wound up doing is I went on Twitter and just like searched for like people who were buying and selling CryptoKitties, not recently, but people who were doing it like 2018,
2: 2019. Yes, she said CryptoKitties. If you missed that fad, let me fill you in. Crypto kitties are colorful online cartoon cats with certain endearing attributes like bat wings or a dragon's tail and adorable names like Furmingo, Master Scuttleboop, and Frank Pusitano. Gamers create, breed, collect, and sell these digital creatures on the Ethereum blockchain. Ostrov's search down the crypto kitty rabbit hole turned up Steven Young.
4: When you actually went to go start buying your own NFTs, like, what what
2: were some of the first things that you bought?
3: Uh, a crypto kitty called Lieutenant Gunkface. It was not worth anything, but it was a, it was a nice uh, thing to have.
2: Young also owns the Frank Positano kitty. He accepted it as payment for a defaulted loan six months ago. The price back then was 30 Ether, which was about $570 at the time. But Frank Positano is part of the first 100 cats created in the collection. So it's called a founder cat. And Young says these so-called founder cats can be worth upwards of $150,000, depending on demand. But Young doesn't just collect crypto kitties. He's also an artist and the founder and CEO of a company called Niftify. It uses NFTs as collateral for loans.
3: If you own an NFT, you can list it on our platform. Uh, Lenders can then make you offers. Uh, So that's a way for people to to unlock some of the value that's now all of a sudden sitting in these uh, in these NFTs without necessarily having to sell them, uh, so you know we've had people use that to kind of pay for rent during uh, COVID while when they were on furlough.
2: Young says navigating the NFT market is fairly easy and user friendly.
3: So once you're in the ecosystem. It's extremely easy. It's way easier than selling something on eBay. But you need to have, like, bought some Ether on an exchange somewhere and transferred it to your wallet.
2: Young is steeped in the world of crypto assets. For those who aren't, it may be hard to assess the quality of the NFT they're buying. Because of the craze around this, you've got a lot of like weird junk that's popping up. Like people are
4: sending me screenshots of various um, platforms and being like, look at the NFT I minted. I mean, how do you go about like actually navigating? Like what is a legitimate thing to own and what
3: isn't? So really for me, especially with art, I'm not looking to buy it because I think this guy is going to be the next Picasso. I'm looking to buy it because... I want to have that piece, and then often I'll contact the artist and get a high quality file and then I'll print it out and they have it on my wall. I think maybe the ones that I'm buying because they're historically significant probably have a higher chance of becoming valuable. So who knows though, I have no idea if the things that I bought are going to be worth anything in five to ten years time.
2: And Young makes a really important point there. The value of NFTs fluctuates all the time. So if you buy an NFT today, there's no guarantee your investment will rise in value. NFTs wind up being
4: more similar to the art or antiquities market in the sense that, you know, there might be similar pieces that you can compare it to. If you're looking at a crypto kitty, you can probably look at sales of other crypto kitties and try and figure out like how much it should be worth. But because Each one is unique and because you're essentially relying on there to be a bidder and it's going to be a much smaller pool than people who want to buy Bitcoin, you're relying that there will always be that demand there. And so if all of a sudden people wake up one day and say, you know, why would I want to own a digital cat? Why would I want to pay $50,000 for this? Its value could instantly plummet or skyrocket overnight.
2: Just like the market for crypto kitties depends on demand, it's the same for all crypto assets. The market for them can be erratic. The uncertainty has positioned NFTs as one more asset that appeals to those unfazed by volatility, like those with plenty of cash or digital currency to burn. But there's something more going on here. Some people think NFTs have the potential to economically disrupt the art world in the long term and change the way artists not only think about revenue streams, but how they manage the rights to their work long after it's been sold. That's next.
4: Join the Wall Street Journal at the Future of Everything Festival on May 21st to 23rd in New York City, where diverse global newsmakers share unique perspectives on navigating a changing world. Immerse yourself in live performances, explore pioneering technologies, and indulge in the city's inventive culinary scene. As a podcast listener, enjoy 20% off current ticket rates with code PODCAST. Visit wsj.com slash f-o-e-f podcast to secure your spot.
2: This idea of NFTs upending traditional buying and selling structures has been bouncing around artist and academic circles for nearly a decade.
0: Hi, I'm Amy Whitaker. I'm faculty at New York University in the Steinhardt School in Arts Administration.
2: Whitaker studies the tension between art and business, and she's a Bitcoin researcher. She says NFTs have the structure of a disruptive technology they have the potential to challenge current thinking about the economics of the art world. What they represent is autonomy.
0: They represent this encapsulation of, of property, of owning space. And that is really important because art is an acute case for which value is only known over time. So you have this problem of artists who sell work very early and then the work becomes valuable later and then it's speculatively flipped in art markets only to the benefit of the collector's. And NFTs represent the ability to dignify the autonomy of the art object, dignify the labor of the artist by maintaining a connection to that. And that can exist apart from having to
2: constantly make it commensurate with money. This paradigm shift is already underway. Whitaker says some artists are creating NFT contracts to embed resale royalties for themselves and to, in some cases, share profits from their work with others.
0: They're using it to create shared ownership models, risk pooling models. They're retaining equity in the future sale. So if something resells speculatively, they still own 15% of the upside. And they're also sharing proceeds across groups of artists. And Salazar
2: Caro says that's what he's after.
1: A portion of whatever proceeds I get from either the NFT or the previous sculptures that I've sold, it's all going towards projects that are working in immigrant advocacy. We are in this moment of uh, genesis where we can start setting up things and planting seeds so that this will evolve into something that it creates equity.
2: These contracts don't always hold, though, and can fall through if, for example, resellers place the NFT on a different platform or take the sale off the platform. We're already seeing frenzied NFT speculation. In some cases, low bids are made for some NFTs and then immediately flipped, putting them back on the market for far more money. While NFTs carry the potential to decentralize the art market, they could, in some cases, just add another layer of exclusion. And if artists are excluded, it wouldn't be the first time the artist class has been burned. Blogs were going to allow writers autonomy and a direct connection with readers. Digital music was touted as a way for musicians to connect with fans directly. But in many cases, streaming sites ended up controlled by corporate interests. Some artists are wary of the potential NFTs have to level the playing field in their industry. Like 90s indie rocker David Lowry, founder of the bands Camper, Van Beethoven, and Cracker. Lowry's also a senior lecturer at the University of Georgia and an artist's rights advocate.
5: The benefits of sort of the digital music ecosystem seems to all accrue to the platforms and the top one percent of artists and there's no reason that an nft would change any of that you if you know if somebody like a Taylor Swift or an Adele wanted to produce you know an nft they would make millions and millions, whereas somebody like a camper van Beethoven might make a few thousand, right? So you still have the radical super income inequality.
2: Lowry's known as a musician, but he also calls himself a mathematician. He did study mathematics and computers at the University of California, Santa Cruz in the early 80s.
5: So I'm not a Luddite, so to speak.
2: But his tech knowledge plays into his skepticism regarding NFTs.
5: I mean, I'm all for, you know, us artist trying new technologies to create new revenue streams and such. It's just, I'm not getting this. I don't get it. I mean, frankly, NFTs are just like all cryptocurrencies seem to create efficiencies, but these efficiencies are for market manipulation and other scams.
2: In a way, Lowry says the new solo album he released this year and sold as a limited edition is kind of like an NFT, just not on a digital cryptocurrency platform. But for musicians with smaller fan bases, NFTs could be a way for them to augment their compensation especially after a year when a lot of live music was canceled. Regional musician Jim Tyndall says he'd consider auctioning an NFT from his band, First Mountain.
1: One of the most logical things that one could do is simply create an NFT for anyone who did the presale. So if I want to create an album and I need funding for that album, I could say, "Okay, I'm doing a GoFundMe, but everyone who donates money is going to receive an NFT.
2: Tyndall's a music teacher by day who's also steeped in Bitcoin culture. He's purchased physical collectibles online with cryptocurrency and says he's already purchased a few NFTs. If you're taking that
1: monetization out of the hands of a centralized figure and putting it into the hands of the independent artist, I don't see a problem with that.
2: And like we said, crypto assets, the NFT market is speculative. This is all subject to boom and bust cycles. So there are going to be potential issues with these. One trouble spot that might not be top of mind for investors is how the NFT itself is designed and whether it's secure. I mean, just like you have a personal website run through a host like GoDaddy, and if you stop paying for it, the link to your site disappears Well, the same thing could happen if the web host for an NFT goes out of business or its servers get hacked. Remember, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, represent the items sold. The blockchain itself can't host large files of music and art. Instead, it has a link or a URL to the item that you own. And that link could be compromised. Here's our colleague Caitlin Ostroff again
4: even if you're really confident that that link will be around for the next 50 years or longer, you are kind of making a gamble that those servers, that that company won't go bust, that that will always be there. And so that is one of the concerns is that if you pay for this, you know, it, it might be difficult for someone to hack the server, but not impossible, or the company that's hosting it could go bust and then trying to recover that URL could be really difficult because without the full file pointing to where it is, you don't have that same authentication of, yes, this is the
2: original asset. And that's something that just hasn't been resolved. Ostrov says the solution may be the evolution of a type of private insurance, similar to the private insurance market that's developed around other crypto assets like Bitcoin. Lloyds, one of the oldest insurance organizations in the world, offers cryptocurrency insurance protecting digital wallets against thefts and hacks with coverage starting at around 1200 US dollars. A few other well-known firms like Marsh McLennan and Aon offer crypto asset insurance to companies at various price levels. Making the future NFT market more secure could bring in more buyers of digital collectibles and could increase the frothy mega sales we're seeing, like for people's digital art. But just as blockchain has evolved to become the underlying scaffolding of Bitcoin, Amy Whitaker at NYU sees the trajectory of NFTs evolving to create more parity among artists, buyers and sellers. I think what's most
0: important is to think about what the larger questions are. And for me, those are questions of equity and collaboration. And they're questions of how economics can
2: serve a democracy. Whitaker says, in a way, we're all artists. So something like your tweet could have value and be sold as an NFT. Going forward, Whitaker says these tokens could hold usefulness for other types of creatives and could be part of a new way to think about how people are paid for their work. And what I would like to see over time is the ways in which we can
0: explore the use of these structures for compensation for anyone's jobs. To to say, you know, you may not see yourself as an artist, but you are in a value creation business and you should own some of the upside that you create.
2: Whitaker says equity-based systems of redistribution are about gains instead of loss, so people don't feel the money is being taken from them and given to someone else. But NFTs are already becoming more mainstream. Christie's Education, the educational offshoot of the famous auction house, is offering an online course on NFTs. Dealers and art insiders are already on the lookout for money-making NFT artists. And the auction house Sotheby's is considering allowing bidders to use digital currency to pay for physical art. So, while the NFT market construction may initially favor artists, the interests of agents, galleries, and artist representatives are following close behind. Meanwhile, NonFungible.com is out with a new report. It finds NFT sales dropped 20% in the final days of March and into early April. Digital artist Alfredo Salazar Caro is recently back from another trip across the border. As for his NFTs, he's still waiting to hear back on whether they sold. The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie Ilgenfritz is the editorial director of The Future of Everything. Lee Camping-Carter is deputy editor of The Future of Everything. Thanks to Caitlin Ostroff for her reporting. Original music by the band Cracker and Alfredo Salazar Caro with additional sound design and engineering by Hector Yankine and Kevin Ramsey. Our fact checker is Maddie Bender. Our sound designer is Sarah Gibbel-Laska. Our producer is Casey Georgie. Kateri Yochum is The Wall Street Journal's executive producer of audio. I'm Janet Babin.